Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the Bunker Daily with me, Andrew Harrison. It is a beautiful August morning, i.e. probably raining wherever you are. And here to start the week for us is Alex Andreo. Good morning, Alex Andreo. How are you? Is it raining where you are? It is. It's absolutely miserable. Great British summer. Um, so, yeah, we are, we are starting on rather a grim note. Um, the, the fires uh, on Evia and elsewhere in Greece are providing a vivid and alarming backdrop to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report, which comes out today. The report will warn of imminent and dire risk to the global climate system. Scientists are warning that the extreme weather events of recent years may well become the norm, and that this is the last chance to make a difference before we exceed the 1.53 limits agreed at the Paris conference. Firstly, Alex, what are you hearing from Greek friends and family? These pictures are horrific, and, you know, my own friends in, in Athens it's been coming out with really heartbreaking stories. Uh, I mean, it's it's dreadful. It's a miracle there haven't been more casualties, and one must be thankful for that. I have friends on the island of Evia uh, who are saying that it's now basically quite difficult to breathe if you're outside, so they're, they're inside with their doors and the windows locked and, and sort of wet towels. Um, you know, covering the cracks um, because the the air is just full of ash. Um, the fires are uh, mercifully heading north on the island, which is a much less inhabited area. Mm. In Athens, uh, there are fires in several places around Athens. The government is claiming that all the fronts are under control. People are having a little bit of difficulty believing that. Um, the the government in general has come in, come in for quite a lot of flack because it's been slow to respond and there seems to have been very little planning for an event that is sadly uh, increasingly an annual fire season. Uh, and we're seeing the annual fire season begin in California um, mm. again. Uh, so, you know, uh, floods in Europe and China, um, heat waves in Siberia and Canada, uh, and the, the southern part of the uh, northern hemisphere seems to be on fire. Yeah, um, and it's hard for lay people like us to comment usefully on, on the science of the IPCC report, uh, which will be announced in full today. I but, don't think but, it's hard. I think it's very easy, actually, because mm-hmm. the, the science is very, very straightforward and has been in agreement for a very, very long time. You know, we're getting the IPCC report uh, today, and it, it promises to make grim reading. But if you read the, the IPCC report, Eightish years ago, I think it was 2013, the last one. Um, it warns that the 2020s are basically the last chance we're going to have to do anything about this. Otherwise, the the uh, global temperature rise will will get away from us. Uh, and so, 
you know, eight years later, they're saying, well, it's basically, as we said, and worse, because they now expect that temperature rise to come a decade early than they thought. I mean, in many ways, the sort of global climate community could not have hoped for a better PR framework Mm. for this report, if that makes sense, because disastrous as what is going on is, I think it creates a situation where people's ears are open um, to this stuff and they are receptive to the idea that this really is an emergency and they really need to act. Yeah. Um, Britain's hosting COP26 in November, of course. Um, COP26 Minister Alok Sharma said of the report, this is going to be the starkest warning yet that human behaviour is alarmingly accelerating global warming. And this is why COP26 has to be the moment we get this right. We can't afford to wait two, five, ten years. This is the moment. Um, Are you seeing any kind of evidence of actual leadership from the UK government? Is it deviating from its usual announce and then do nothing policy? I think the fact that uh, uh, Alok Sharma has been traveling around the world can be taken in one of two ways. It could be seen as a a level of hypocrisy, or it could be seen as a sign that the government is taking things very seriously. My own sense, and I'm not basing this particularly on anything, is that the government is making climate part of its general trade mission. Um, and I think that di- rather detracts from the message. And there's also uh, simultaneously sort of murmurings in the Tory party. So a new backbench grouping has been formed. Oh, not, um, another, not another ERG, CRG. Oh, yes. God, gee, how many ERGs do you need? Oh, yes. Yes. So Craig McKinley, who's, I think, the MP for Thanet, um, so he's chairing a new backbench group, which, and I quote from what he said uh, to uh, The Telegraph, aims to challenge the consensus over the speed at which carbon emissions should be cut. Um, Yes. Well, so, I mean, that, that's a slight movement from challenging the idea that climate change is happening at all. I, I suppose there is that. But yeah, I mean, was, I mean it was... seems everyone's got the memo mm. except the same dunderheads in the backbenches of the Conservative Party. The problem is that they are disproportionately powerful. They remain mm. disproportionately powerful. Uh, not only that, but the, the party was packed with them to get Brexit done. So the sensible people who would have been allies to the government in this very difficult period where we're looking at um, you know, climate measures, which will cost money and will require sacrifice from everyone, including from government, and will need to be sold. So the people who would have been allies of the government in this have been eradicated from the party. And the party has been stuffed to the rafters with cranks instead. And this will come back to bite this government. Well, I think, uh, listeners, keep your ear out for the Global Warming Policy Forum, which we will be uh, having a look at in in coming editions, uh, the latest um, Tufton Street AstroTurf um, organisation. But I mean, when we are seeing pushback from Boris Johnson's real bosses, The Telegraph, uh, at the weekend, their, their, um, their lead story was, Johnson's green agenda has been plunged into chaos amid fears that costs of reaching net zero could cripple working-class families in newly won Tory seats. Well, red wall seats are the ones that get flooded. 
Red Wolves is the ones that do take the pounding on this. Uh, yeah, you know, is there a political feature in some in simple uh, you know denial, denialism and branding this as uh, as yet more experts ruining your um, right to uh, go on a you know holiday wherever you like and not have to lag your uh, not have to lag your roof? So I think the interesting question is why does the Telegraph give a toss about northern working families they never have in the past. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's quite revealing to think of it in, th- in these terms. Um, climate measures, measures for cutting uh, uh, net emissions, will have a cost attached to them. You combine that with a complete, complete refusal to tax progressively, and you have a problem. So it's not a problem if we had a government that would be willing to tax those who can afford it in order to pay for this stuff. But if you combine it with a government that is caught in a pincer movement between its donors Mm. who are bankrolling it, saying you can't raise taxes, and the fact that they need to introduce these measures that do have a cost attached to them, although in the long term, actually, they're win-win. But in the short term, there's a cost attached. Um, And you end up with a situation where suddenly the telegraph is, you know, waving the flag for mining communities in the north. It's disingenuous. Mm. What the telegraph is doing is saying, don't do this because the only way we see this going is that you're going to have to end up taxing the rich more. That's what will happen. Yeah, because the you know the uh, that line about uh, you know reaching net zero could cripple working class families in newly ones. Well, you could always not tax them. You could always tax people in the uh, in the conservative shows. Oh dear, they already are starting to hate Boris Johnson. So, yeah, I mean, they, you're absolutely yeah. right. This I've never cared about working class families unless it's a stick that they can beat the government with. Um, so the IPC reports every eight years or so, and the big change since the last one is this rise of authoritarian populism as a world force. Climate, climate denial is one of the articles of faith there. Trump's mm. gone, but there are this populism is still a vast force in the world. Is it going to be harder to make progress on this now that the the anti science block of you know vaccine deniers, climate deniers, lockdown opponents, general anti experts has kind of coalesced into a single group? I mean that is the that you know the, on the uh, the extra edition of oh god what now last night last week, um, yeah. Dorian and Ian referring to it as woo anon. I don't think it's easy, and I think COVID actually provides an example of why it's not easy. There are certain things um, for which it is difficult to divert attention um, because they, you know, they just happen and they're undeniable. Um, And in this environment, like I said, with, you know, with heat waves in Siberia and fires in California and floods in the bit in between, it's really quite difficult to say, oh, no, it's not man-made. Oh, no, we don't need to do anything about it. It's cyclical. It happens all the time. So all this stuff, it tends to crash into reality, the reality of what people are actually watching going on in the news. And so I think that makes it difficult um, to make those sorts of arguments with broad appeal. Um, That means that populists may come to view climate change as actually quite a big political threat. So 
we'll see. My, my sense is that this thing is so unstoppable and will become so increasingly obvious that anyone standing there saying it isn't happening will just look like an idiot in very, very short order. Well, they, they already do. Let's look at coronavirus. Uh, the seven-day average of cases, having dipped in early August, is now rising again slowly to almost 24,000 a day. Deaths are around the mid-early 70s. Uh, quarantine-free travel to France is back. Are we, are we any closer, Alex, to knowing whether the virus is diminishing to uh, acceptable levels? Well, I think it is diminishing. Whether it is diminishing to acceptable levels, I, I don't think we'll know for a very long time. I don't think we'll know that until schools go back, actually, because that will be the next big thing that means a, a, a circulation of the the uh, virus pools that already exist. I mean, we had uh, we had Christina Pargel on Oh God What mm. Now uh, last week, and one of my takeaways, which I I think is an incredibly useful thing to repeat, is that uh, you know there is endemic and there is endemic levels of endemicity matter. So if you end up plateauing. Uh, you know, at a level of 100 cases a week. It's a very different situation from ending up plateauing at a level of 100,000 new cases a week. Because every time you have a flare-up, the measures you will need to take to suppress it will be that much bigger. Um, And so, in my view, there was an extra 50 yards to be ran and the government lost its nerve and didn't run them. There was an opportunity to really push numbers down. There was an opportunity to really push out the message of vaccinating not only 17-year-olds, but 12 to 17-year-olds, as many, many countries in the world are doing, including the United States of America, who have vaccinated up to 6 million um, children uh, in that age range. Um, So... We're in a situation where it is again beginning to slip away from the government. There's now six or seven, I think it was seven at the last count, uh, EU countries whose uh, vaccination program has surpassed the UK's. Mm. And considering how far ahead the UK was, even a month and a half, two months ago, that is not something that will be a happy reading for number 10. Mm. Um, so, I, I mean, who knows these things? Everything affects it. You know, the fact that we've had a lot of rain recently will affect it because it will mean more people huddle inside pubs rather than stand outside in the sunshine. The, you know, the fact that schools are out will affect it. The fact that... Um, it, you know, the, there's been sort of quite a lot of um, spectacle on TV with the Olympics will affect it because it's not, it's the sort of thing people tend to watch at home rather than going to a pub to watch it. So, I mean, I don't know. There are a thousand moving parts. It's incredibly positive that cases are falling. But until we return to um, a situation where you know, millions of kids are going to school, mixing with each other and then going back to their home, we won't know yeah. um, whether we have 
uh, successfully suppressed this. One of the acid tests is, of course, running large events and whether there will or will not be um, vaccine passports at them. The Premier League starts again on Saturday. Chelsea fans, mm. at least, will have to show proof of vaccination. There's talk of players having to prove vaccination before being allowed to play. Uh, wh- where are we on the vaccine passport debate? Because it seems to have gone, obviously... Parliament is not sitting. It seems to have gone quiet, but there is there's still talk of vaccine passports by the end of September, possibly sports venues and elsewhere. There's going to be a Commons vote uh, almost immediately when the Commons returns on September the 6th, with dozens of Tory MPs saying they'll oppose it. Where are we at on vaccine passports? Nowhere. Uh, I mean, I hate to give credit to Dominic Cummings, but one of the things that he, uh, he has described about number 10 since the moment he described it, I cannot get it out of my head. And that's the, the sort of shopping trolley yeah. with a faulty wheel that just veers madly one way for, for a time until, you know, something shifts the wheel in the opposite direction and it starts to veer madly the, the complete opposite way. And, and that's what we've seen with COVID passports. That's what we've seen with, you know, so many policies so far. Um, it is, in many ways, the premiership beginning, um, the people going to matches are a small element of it. The people congregating in pubs yeah. to watch the games are a larger element of it. And and no one is talking about requiring proof of vaccination mm-hmm. for them to do that. Um, Boris Johnson refused to self-isolate after a member of his staff tested positive for COVID during a trip to Scotland. And this went almost unremarked. Eight weeks ago, this would have been a massive kickoff. Are we now past COVID shaming? Should Neil Ferguson and Matt Hancock get a refund? <laughs> no, it's just, it's August, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it it's, it's purely a mechanic function of the fact that all the political correspondents are away, all the big news editors are away. Um, Not the podcast, Alex, aired. we're still here. No, we are still here. We'll keep banging the drum. Because and we can't afford flag. to go on holiday. But... But I have to tell you, you know, the mechanics of it, that's what they are. You know, when everyone who would normally be prodding these things is on holiday and the people with whom you'd be prodding these things are on holiday as well, it becomes very, very difficult to create traction around a political story. There has been some delicious gossip about reshufflings um, in the last couple of days, which which I think is worth sharing with the listeners. Um, so uh, the latest rumours are that Michael Gove is in line to take over the Home Office from Priti Patel, that people are very, very unhappy about the way she has handled the, um, the sort of asylum, uh, the channel crossing um, situation um we've ended up with you know loads of people just sleeping on mats in offices mm. uh, and and there's a lot of people at number 10 to think this is a a, a a pr disaster waiting to happen so apparently gove is on maneuvers the second uh rumor of, although this is a remote because many think it would be politically very very difficult is that uh, Johnson is planning to get rid of Rishi Sunak from number 11. Um, And the person being lined up for his position is Lord Helpers, 
Liz Truss. <laughs> You're going to say Lord, somebody or other. No, and yet Liz Truss was, is, is in the frame, which is just, uh, what would you do? Where would you go? What could you say? It would be a, it would be a new low in new lows. Yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> as I've said before, uh, we are in for, a, for an administration of lows. Uh, and the the positive thing about those lows being record lows and being hit in very publicly is that at least uh, it turns public opinion against them. And the polls have shifted further against Johnson in the last week. Uh, he's now um, at a record low uh, of popularity with his party members, not just around the country, yeah. um, which will be very, very tricky for him because people are openly saying that if he decides to either get rid of or demote Sunak, um, that Sunak, first of all, would not accept a, a, a demotion. He would go to the backbenches and it would trigger a, a sort of leadership election, maybe not in the next month, maybe in six months, but it would certainly, you know, get the situation moving yeah well, let's talk of sho- shoving sunak into health secretary which is a demotion in any both a demotion he, and he a wouldn't job he right wouldn't now. accept that yeah of course not. he wouldn't accept that he'd go to the back benches and begin to sort of shoot snipe from there yeah. which is a really dangerous situation uh, for johnson and because despite his many 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 failures his political antennae with regard to inner party stuff has remained relatively um, accurate. I can't see him doing that. Yeah, well, we'll be talking about this in some detail on the panel show tomorrow, and I shall be getting getting the risky Sunak headline ready to go. Um, (laughs) A couple more things before we wrap up. Uh, Summertime staple uh, for when there's no news. Uh, GCSE and A-level results in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland are coming out. National fours and fives and highs in Scotland. Uh, Don't say it. Don't say it. Are you going to say grade inflation? I was going to say, uh, look out for a pic- Look out for pictures of beautiful young people jumping in the air, waving papers in the air on the front of the paper on the front of the telegraph. Because that's what you always oh, get. Yes. But we will get oh, a grade yes. inflation debate. In fact, you know, it's, there is absolutely no talk at all about a plan for recovery in education after the disastrous two years we've just had. Uh, people are about to get their results um, based on assessment because of you know the cancellation of exams and so forth. And what we're getting instead is right wing outriders saying we send too many kids to university anyway yeah so that's what we're getting um i mean there is an argument to that there is an argument that um you can't create big bumps in the curve of graduates basically because it creates an oversupply further down the line but this goes back to the to the very issue we were discussing in the extra bit of our panel show uh, uh, last week which is that when you commodify education, when you make education a a glorified training course, uh, a route to a a particular job at the end of it, then you end up with these sorts of arguments saying, oh, we can't end up with too many educated people, which is, at, at its basic analysis, one of the most idiotic things you could say about a country to say, oh, we're ending up with too many well-educated people. We're investing too much in our future, yeah. are we? Um, it, it, the moment you begin to view education as a thing which creates, um, you know, better informed 
more rounded, wiser individuals. And the, the moment you begin to educate people with that in mind, you end up outside of those arguments and the notion of great inflation becomes the nonsense that it is. That's all well and good, Alex, but uh, was it Bridgen saying this is the reason we haven't got any, uh, we haven't got enough HGV drivers because we're pushing people through university? Think about it. The reason we don't have enough HGV drivers is because we mounted a huge campaign for six years to send them back home. Oh, no. Why did we do that? That was a terrible idea. Anyway, before we wrap up, um, let's have a little bit of Labour. Finally, uh, in the Labour Party, local branches are lobbying to get conference to adopt a rule that would enable uh, members to get the the final say over disciplinary action taken against MPs. Do they have any MPs in mind, I wonder? Yes, it's about readmitting Corbyn (laughs) to the party. Is this, A, is this remotely workable, Alex? I mean, can you imagine members having a say on uh, disciplinary action for, oh, I don't know, Sexual harassment, I don't know. Um, you know, misuse of party funds. That would be great, wouldn't it? Let's all have a big vote on this. Yeah, no, it's a ridiculous motion to put forward, which tells me it's probably going to happen and go through. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the form recently. I, my sense is that the left of the party is overselling the amount of trouble they can uh, cause. This is, in many ways, Starmer's first real conference. And I think uh, there will be, the vast majority of party members will row in behind him. Um, My sense is that he will have an okay conference rather than an amazing one. There will be some attempts to cause trouble, but I think they will be small and fizzle out. Because, like I said, I think the majority of the party will want to give him the chance of this first conference, because the the constant accusation being leveled at him is that he hasn't set out his vision. And so to begin to cause ructions on the first opportunity he has had to set out his vision will not go down well um, with most of the people in the party. So, you know, I I mean, if I were on the, if I were on the Corbynite wing of the party, this would be the time when I'd be saying to my colleagues, uh, give him rope to hang himself. You know, it is, as we know from the way the centrist uh, element of the party failed because they challenged Corbyn too early, um, you know, this stuff matters strategically. Whether you go after Starmer this conference or next year's conference, matters strategically. And if there's anyone with any sense in that segment of the party, they will be making that argument and winning it. Well, it's going to be a fun run-up to a fun conference. Uh, Between (laughs) now and then, the results of the Unite election will be declared as well. And the sort of mutterings, uh, uh, Gerard Coyne might actually uh, win it. And that would really change the um, the, the, the power base and the direction of what's happening with Labour. But that's all fun stuff to look forward to. Alex, thanks for getting up early uh, to start your week with us. My pleasure. And listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, remember, you can keep us uh, doing our valuable work if you back us on Patreon, the crowdfunding platform. You'll get the show early without adverts. You'll also get uh, admission to the live Zoom of our live show on Tuesday night, The Bunker versus Oh God, What Now? The Bunker is definitely going to win. Uh, search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh God, what now is going to win? No, it isn't.
Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archibald and Yelena Sofranovic, and the Bunker theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. Audio production was from me, Robin Lieber, and the Bunker is a Podmasters production.